Good job, founding pastors. Great job. Hey, y'all. It's me again. Uh, Welcome back to church for those of you who've been here before. Uh, Welcome for the first time to those who are guests. Uh, My name is Alvin. I'm lead pastor here at the church, and and it's just been uh, a fun ride this year. I've learned a lot. I'm still learning a lot, but uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, God... God just has a way of, of using every season in our life, if we let him, to develop us as people and to make our faith and love for him deeper. And I honestly believe that's happening in me and hopefully, hopefully all of you as well as we get through the year. Um, we are on a great journey. We are coming towards the end of 2021, which is uh, hard to believe, but uh, it's the reality nonetheless. And uh, we are going to continue in uh, getting into the Word of God. But before we do, I would like for us to get our minds prepared, get our hearts prepared by, by saying this prayer together, this declaration together. Uh, so repeat these words after me. Say, the Word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I hear some authority over there. I like that. Okay. Um, We are going to continue our series, Zeal for the House. Um, We have been studying the Zeal for the House series in October, and though, well, we were doing it via the book of Haggai, and uh, though we're going to be done with the book of Haggai for for this series, we're not going to be done with the series Zeal for the House. Um, We're going to actually stay in this all the way through November leading up to our big Zeal for the House offering, which is in December, first Sunday of December. So we're going to continue cultivating zeal for the Lord, for his mission, for his, his cause, and the work that he's doing exclusively through the house of God. It's very important that his believers have enthusiasm for the house of God. And I actually do mean that, enthusiasm. It is biblical for us to have zeal and passion for not only the Lord, but for what the Lord is doing in the earth. Uh, really, the scripture that kind of launched this whole theme in my heart was uh, Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So he encourages us to never be lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor. That's in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Um, we aren't going to study Haggai, but we're going to talk about, talk about zeal via a passage in Titus. Titus is uh, a New Testament book, and it's, it's written to uh, a young pastor named Titus who was pastoring, and Paul, the apostle, was writing to him and instructing him on how to pastor his church and how to appoint leaders and how to do all the things that a pastor learns to do. So obviously it's very relevant to me, but it's also relevant to you all because it educates you on how the church is supposed to function. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. I'm going to read it all together, and then we're going to break it down and kind of uh, dissect it a bit. So the uh, verse 11 starts off saying, For the grace of God 
has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. So God's will for your life is that you end up in a place to where you are sincerely filled with zeal for good works in his name. Zeal is something that, though I think all of us like the idea of having it, um, some of us don't know how to get there, especially after the past year and a half. I think we know it's a nice idea, but I don't think we know how to get there, and that's what this month is about. Honestly, last month was about that, too. Some of you guys got it through the book of Haggai. Some of you guys, the revelation that came through that book made it click for you, and you're operating in it. Some of you guys, either you weren't here last month, or maybe you were here, and there was still something getting between you understanding it. So I'm praying that this passage will help you have a guide for zeal. If you want to have zeal in your life, um, it is possible and there is a way to do it, but it's a process. So the first uh, verse of verse 11 that I read, verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And I love that it starts off like this because grace is where it all starts. The first step to having zeal for God is acknowledging the the amazing grace that he gives. Grace is such a gift. And I actually think whenever we remind ourselves of grace, it, it, it changes our perspective because we realize that all that we need has been given through grace. Grace equals power. Grace gives us power. Grace gives us ability. Grace gives us strength. Guys, grace gives us desire. Grace gives us uh, endurance. Grace gives us an energy. Grace gives us, gives, gives us everything we need to live a life of godliness and to a live, a li live a life of wholeness. Grace makes it possible. Uh, grace actually is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the grace of the Father. So if you have Jesus, if you believe on Jesus, you have actually received the grace of God. Anyone who believes in Jesus has received the full grace of God, which means you have the power, the ability, the strength, the endurance, the desire, the passion. Every single tool, the tool that you need is in the toolkit of grace. It's important for us to realize that grace is more than just what we've made it sometimes. Grace gives us the ability to do all things through Christ. Let's move on. I also want to say, too, like, I want to keep going. Stay, stay, uh, before I move on to that, I want to say that grace, it says, uh, verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And I just want you all to know that salvation is for you. It's for you. A life of living for God is for you. A life of freedom is for you. And I just want you to remember that 
it's for you. It's for all people. Some of you all have uh, a lot of things that have happened in your past that has convinced you that maybe somehow it's not for you. The enemy always seems to, it's amazing. He can say it's for everybody in the room except you. (laughs) It's for everybody else except you, but the word says it's for all people. All right? Let's keep going. Uh, Verse 12, grace gives us uh, salvation in verse 11. And then verse 12, it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Before I unpack this more, I do want to make it clear to you that a life of godliness is possible. Some of you all, again, because of things that have happened in your past, you have, it's been so long since you've even been able to entertain or imagine a life without that addiction or a life without that vice or a life without um, that rebellion or a life without that pride or a life without that fear. And so, so many of us have been in situations for so long that we actually believe that there's never going to be a time in our life where we're not where we are. But I'm trying to encourage you guys that grace, the Bible says in verse 12 that it trains us. The key word is it trains. It's a process. The grace of God will train you to renounce ungodly things and worldly passions so that you will then have the grace to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age, in this lifetime. Like, literally, in this lifetime, it's not, well, one day in heaven I'll be able to live godly. No, God will give you the grace to do it in this lifetime. Before you die, it is possible for you to be trained by grace to renounce the ungodly things in your life so that you can live uprightly, self-controlled, and godly in this time. The power of God through grace trains us to grow. And growing a passion for God and growing a heart from God for God is a process and something that very similar to when you're planting a seed in soil. If there's conditions in the soil that prevent the seed from growing, uh, it can do that. It can actually prevent the seed from growing. So if there are rocks or pebbles or weeds or, or certain bugs or things that are disrupting the production and the growth of that seed, Um, gardeners know that you've got to remove that stuff. You've got to condition the soil so that there's an environment where it can grow successfully. It's the same for our heart for God. If you want to grow a zeal for the Lord, if you want to grow passion for God, the Bible makes it clear that we have to address things that are happening in our lives that's stunting the growth of that growth (laughs) Uh, um, of the heart for God. So, So in this case, it's ungodliness, and worldly passions that we're called to remove from our lives. And again, the pressure's off of you because God's grace will train you on how to do it. Some of you guys are like, man, I've never lived my life without ungodliness. I've never lived my life without that worldly passion. The Bible says it's okay because the grace of God knows how to train you. Now, what is in your court is you have to be willing to be trained. Now, that is on us. That is our decision. We have to be willing to be trained. Grace says, I'm here to train you, but if we are resistant to the training of grace, 
we will actually, uh, it won't work. <laughs> Not because it doesn't have the power to do it, but the subjects aren't willing for <laughs> grace to do it. So we are a church of people who are willing, right, and eager to be trained by grace so that we can remove these, these things that, are, that, that stunts the growth of our heart for God and our zeal for him, right? Ungodliness needs to be renounced because it's ungodly. And when you're trying to grow a heart for God, things that are against God will conflict your process. If you are wanting to grow a heart for God, it's very important to remove the things in your life that are not for God. Um, it's a very practical uh, counsel. Remove things that are anti-God from your life so the part of you that is for God can thrive. Um, the second thing is worldly passions. And this is, this is tough. This is a little bit tougher because worldly passion is a passion. It's genuine passion, but it's worldly passion. So if you're trying to develop a passion for God, the Bible is telling us there are things in our life that are, that's passion, but it's passion for things of the world. And, and I also want to talk about the, the, the deceptive uh, nature of worldly passions um, because it's not as obvious to us. It'd be different if it said renounce satanic passions. It'd be different if the Bible said renounce hellish passions. But it says worldly passions. And it's important for us to understand as Christians what the world actually is and what worldly things are. Um, why is it that worldly passions is such a threat to our passion for God? I'm going to cross-reference a, a passage that Jesus said in John 17. John 17, verse 14 through 16. It says, I have given them your word. I have given them, he's talking about his disciples. I have given them, the believers, your word. And the world has hated them. So because the disciples have the word of God, the world has hated these people who have the word of God. Why? Because they are not of the world. Just as I, Jesus says, I am not of the world. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they, again, talking about the disciples of Jesus, they are not of the world just as I, Jesus, am not of the world. So the Bible is making it very clear that God is not of this world. Jesus is not of this world. So when you have passion for things of the world, it's not passion that comes from God because God is not from the world. He is not of the world. The Bible says in several passages, you got to hear me out here because what I'm about to say affirms why the Lord or confirms or supports why Jesus said that the road is narrow uh, to follow him. He wasn't kidding. It's, it's this, these things are why he says it's narrow. Because the, war, the Bible is very clear in several accounts that the world is governed by the evil one. The Bible calls him the prince of this world, the prince of this age, prince of the air. He actually has uh, legal rights currently before he's judged to have influence in this world, which is why the world looks the way it does. Um, 
the, the enemy is actually governing the affairs of the world. Now, the world is not hell, but the world is under the influence of hell. So, for instance, uh, the British Virgin Islands, they are in the Caribbean. They are very far away locationally from Great Britain. But even though the Virgin Isles are not in Britain, they're still under the political rule and government of Britain. So it's a colony. That's why the world, the world is not hell, but it's under the influence and the government rule, principalities and darkness of the devil. The, cool, the solution is, as the Lord says, I'm going to plant a colony of my own here on earth. And it's going to be called the kingdom of God. And even though they're in the world, and even though they are totally surrounded by everything that's influenced by the devil, I'm going to plant my own kingdom, my own colony. That Even though it's not heaven, it's going to operate under the authority of heaven. It's going to, under, it's going to operate under the authority and the government rule. So we've got two kingdoms happening on earth. We've got a colony of hell which is what the world is called, and then we've got the church, which is the colony of heaven. And it's very important that we understand that, that to be of the kingdom of heaven, we have to part ways from the things that are the kingdom of this world. Because it's not that the, the world itself is hell, but it's connected to a ruler that is very much against our God. So if you go to the passage where he says you have to renounce worldly passions, that's what he's talking about. And the reason why I said this can be really challenging and make us feel a little bit closed in and narrow is because there's a, a, a word that's very prevalent in our culture today, particularly with millennials and Gen X, and that's, it's not a new word, but it has a lot of rev relevance today, and that's binary. And binary means one of two. Binary means one of two things. And when it comes to the spirit world, the way the world describes the spirit, the way the word of God describes the spirit world, it's a binary situation. It's either light or it's darkness. It's either the world or it's God. And there's something that's in all of us that really wants to resist a binary world because it leaves us only two options. Human beings love options. That's just something that's about us. We love it. We love options. We, we, the more options, the better for our, in our civilization. So we really resist a reality where it's either this or that. And we press for a life and a reality where there's uh, sub areas. There's this, and then there's kind of this, and then there's kind of this, really. We, we love the spectrum. We love one, we, we love more than one option. And the Bible doesn't give us that uh, luxury, no matter how bad we want it. God as a father doesn't give us everything we want. He gives us some things we want, but not everything that we want, because ultimately he's not going to change truth for our desires. Um, and he loves us, but he's not going to change truth. And the truth is that the spirit world is binary. It is the world or it's God. And the way passion works is passion, anything that takes your passion away, when it comes to binary things, when it comes to one or the other, this is why, just so you know, cross-reference, this is why Jesus hates lukewarm 
lukewarmness so much. He, throw, he, he, he vomits lukewarm because lukewarm is not binary. It's a mix of both. It's like there's hot, there's cold, and there's middle thing. He goes, that doesn't exist. He doesn't even process it. He throws it up. Jesus said he actually spews it out of his mouth. He, 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 it's kind of gross, but he, he vomits lukewarm things because his reality only acknowledges one or the other. So even though we try to offer him a mixture, he goes, I can't accept it. I actually, my body isn't even designed to, you know, some of us have uh, allergies. We have, uh, we're intolerant to certain things, right? So some of us are intolerant to dairy. So we can drink dairy, but it throws, we throw it up. Some of us are intolerant to tree nuts. So we eat it, but we throw it up because our body is not built and wired for, for whatever reason to process that. So we're intolerant of certain foods, and we know that as human beings. We're into- the Lord is intolerant to lukewarm. He says, I can digest hot. I can digest cold. I can't digest things that are, are tepid. I can't. He said, I can, I can digest yes. I can digest no. I can't digest uh, uh, nesses. And yo's. We love Ness and we love yo. There's yes and there's no, but we're like, can't there be a Ness somewhere in here? Can't there be a yo? And he goes, I actually, I, I can't, I, I can't digest Ness. I can't digest yo. He said, I can digest no, I will not follow you. I can totally digest that. I get it. I can digest, yes, I'm yours, but I can't digest, Ness, I'm yours, or yo, I'm yours. It has to be one or the other. So what happens is with passion, passion, anything that's not 100% diminishes the passion. Again, this, is for, this message is for people who want passion for God. I'm trying to show you how to develop a passion for the Lord. Um, there are two very prominent entertainment and sports booking agents in, uh, in the country. I'm not going to say their names, but there's two big ones. If you're in entertainment, you probably know. And I've got a buddy. There's a lot of booking agents, but there's two, like, main ones. And i got friends that work in, in the booking agent industry. And the way the culture works out, one booking, I'll call booking agent A and booking agent B. Booking agent A is always trying to court booking agent B and, and hire them for their agency. And then the employees that are at booking agent B are always offering counter offers and we'll pay you that over here. So there's always this like never ending cycle because booking agent A employees, uh, some of them have like a meeting with booking agent B and they're competitors, right? They're competitors. So my point is, I had a friend that was at booking agent B, and he was being pursued by booking agent A. They wanted him over there. And as long as he was setting up and accepting appointments with booking agent A, whatever, you give, I forget my A and Bs. I should have just said the names. But my point is, it's impossible for him to grow in his zeal and commitment and where he's at if he still on his calendar has appointments with the competitor agency. Same vice versa because 
we know what it's like when we know that things are pending, we can't make solid decisions. Like, some of us know that we're moving in a couple months, so we, like, intentionally don't get in relationships. We intentionally don't invest in things because we're like, well, I'm moving. When you know there's a possibility of you getting out, you set your life up in a way that's non-committed. And it's impossible to be truly passionate and truly present because in the back of your mind, you're like, I might not even be here in a couple of months. So you know what it's like when you're interviewing for a job. Some of you guys are interviewing for jobs right now, maybe in Texas or in California, and you intentionally don't put stakes in because your life could be very different in a couple weeks. So what happens, that's, a, that's why the Lord says we have to renounce passions of the world. Because as long as we still are entertaining things of the world, it makes us feel like it's impossible to put true stakes down in for God. So we purposely don't make strong declarations for God. We purposely don't say, Lord, you can have me for the rest of my life. We purposely don't sing, I surrender all. Because in the back of our mind, we're like, I'm, I still got a couple of lunch appointments with the world. I got a few happy hour appointments with the world. I got a few coffee dates with the world. And uh, my life could look a lot different in a couple of weeks. So I'm actually not going to put my whole heart towards the kingdom of God. So the Lord says, if you want to develop a heart for me, you've got to renounce those appointments. You've got to cut off those opportunities. What's the phrase? You've got to burn the bridges. Some of us need to burn the bridges. We still have these plan B outlets for the world. Just in case God doesn't come through, let me keep my worldly contacts. Just in case the Lord doesn't come through for me, let me keep my worldly plan C's and D's that way. And as long as those plan B's are in your life for the Lord, it will stunt and hinder your full-hearted commitment to God, which is a problem because the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord with how much of your heart? How much of your mind? How much of your strength? I'm telling you, the Lord doesn't recognize nesses and yos. He's like, if you're with me, I have to have 100% of you. And some of us want passion for God, but the Lord goes, there's still some appointments with the world that you still have in your calendar. There's still some numbers from the world that you still have in your phone. There's still some options of the world that you are keeping close, and it's preventing you from being wholeheartedly with the Lord because 3% is still on reserve for God. And as much as we think 97% is good, the Lord says, I don't recognize it. I can't digest it. I can't digest. I actually throw it up. He says, I spew it out. So for us, to, if we want wholehearted commitment to God, if we want full devotion to the Lord, he says the grace of God will train you to renounce these worldly passions. And to renounce, just so you guys know, renounce means to give up, to abandon, or resign usually by a public declaration. That's Webster's definition of renounce. So you've got to find those passions that are still of the world, that are still of your flesh. Now the key word is passion. We can't renounce earth. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying give all your money away and stop working and stop buying clothes and stop functioning like a citizen of this earth. We're talking about passion. So we don't renounce money we renounce our passion for it. We don't renounce careers. 
We renounce our passion for it. We don't renounce clothes. We renounce our passion for it. We don't renounce friends. My point is, guys, worldly passions are passions that are of this world, which means they're temporal. Worldly passions aren't even necessarily bad in and of themselves, like when it comes to worldly things. But when you invest your passion in things that are temporal, what it does is it robs your passion for the things that are eternal. When you have passion for things that have an expiration date, then it takes away your ability to have passion for the things that last forever. And the Lord is calling for the church to be people who are passionate for the eternal. And the only way to be passionate for the eternal is you've got to assess, is my passion somewhere else than things that are temporal? Am I too passionate about things that are going to be gone in months or years or even after this lifetime? Guys, as radical as this sounds, if it sounds foreign to you, then this is an indicator that you haven't been reading your Bible. If what, I, if what I'm saying sounds foreign to you, then you couldn't have been reading the words of Jesus. You couldn't have. Or if you did, maybe, I don't know, I don't know how you couldn't. He says, Jesus says, unless you give up everything, you can't even start to be my disciple. Entry level for disciple with Jesus is giving up everything. And what do I mean by that? Does that mean you walk away from everything? No, it means from a heart perspective. He doesn't say give up everything in the way of, uh, it means from a heart's perspective. Like you give up your, your heart and your life. That's why it's important to know that, what I mean by that because he says unless you give up your life too. He doesn't mean kill yourself. He doesn't mean kill yourself to follow me. He goes, you have to lose a heart for your life. You have to lose the passion for your life. Because, not because your life is just the devil, but if you have passion, every ounce of passion that you have for your life is less ounces of passion that you can have for Jesus. Every ounce of passion you have for your affairs and your dreams and your person, I, I, I know I'm stepping on toes. I'm not anti-dreams. I'm anti-passion in a way that diminishes our passion for Jesus. He wasn't kidding when he said the road was narrow. He said few people find it, and it's for issues of what I'm talking about right now. It's a tight ship. But it's a right one. I can take tight if it's right. The road to Jesus is tight, but guys, it is right. He said the broad way is easier. He said, and many people find that. But the reason why it, it's, it's broad and wrong. So there's tight and right and then broad and wrong. Tight leads to life, Jesus said. He said the broad, easier way leads to destruction. And as a pastor, I would be pretty inhumane if I led you guys down a road to destruction. I've got to lead you and point you to life, even if that means you're going to have to renounce things that you didn't think that you would have to renounce. Praise the Lord.
verse 13. It says, so it talks about renouncing all these things, right? And then it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word I want to emphasize is hope. I'm going to give you guys another motivation why you need to renounce, or I should say this, let the grace of God train you to renounce. I can't leave out grace. You have to depend on grace for the, to, to, to do any of this stuff. You don't have the ability in and of yourself. You just don't. You don't have the strength in and of yourself. You have to have the grace of God train you to do this. So just please don't beat yourself up. Just lean on grace more. Stop beating yourself up and start to acknowledge grace. Grace will give you the ability. Grace is the help. So if you're not living this way, don't beat yourself up. He needs that body. God needs you. Don't beat yourself up. Just use the grace that's been given so you can be trained to renounce these things. When you renounce ungodly things and worldly passions, what it does is it transforms you. And it changes you. It changes your character. I don't know if you guys realize this, but I actually don't believe that you can truly have hope without character. Some of us have hope problems. And I'm going to just... Go out on a limb here. Hope problems is an indication of character problems. And the reason why I believe this is because the Bible says that hope is produced by character. Romans 5, 4 says character produces hope. Hope, some of us are, are wanting hope, and we, we're, 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 go, we're, we're going through the wrong door to get it. We're going, God, give me hope, like he's going to go, hope. It's funny, but this, that's how we think. That's how most of us think. It's a reality. It's how most of us think. Lord, give me hope. Hope, okay. If you want hope, the way that God prescribes it. Your question needs to be, Lord, produce character in me. Build my character because your word says that it's the character that produces hope. Hope is a byproduct of character. It's not a byproduct of just magic. So when you renounce ungodly things, that changes your character. When you renounce your passion for the world, it changes your character, and it gives you a character that will then produce the ability to hope. There's a reason why verse 13 comes after verse 12. It says, renounce these. Again, this is the process to getting zeal for God, just, so you, just to keep it in uh, context. When you renounce these things, the next part is waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
It's God's will that we are hoping for his return. It's God's will that we are anticipating his glory, which is why that song is fun, because in a little while, God's people are called to be going, man, I can't wait till the glory of God is revealed. But if we're preoccupied with ungodliness and worldly passions, we're not even thinking about Jesus coming back, let alone excited about him coming back. Worldly passions, again, those things that you're like, man, that's not a bad thing. If you have a passion for it, then it, it, it hinders your ability to have the, the expectation and the hope of God's glory. There's just certain things that are just impossible. You can't do two things at once when it comes to this. You can't have your eye on the world and your eye on the clouds going, Jesus, come through. Like, you can't have your eye on both. If your eyes are not on Jesus, they're on something else. If they're on something else, they're not on Jesus. And the Lord is saying, remove your eyes from the things of this world. He said, set your mind on the things above this world. This is why the church struggles in zeal. Because our attention and our passions are elsewhere. And the Lord says, you got to take that passion. you got to move it over. And the way you do that is by renouncing those things, resigning from them, abandoning them. And then what happens is you now have this space in your heart for hope. You now have this space in your thoughts for hope. Some of our thoughts, the real estate of our minds are just filled with pessimistic thoughts. We don't even have the room for hope in our brain. We don't even have the room for hope. He goes, we got to get rid of some of the room. Like, you got to clear some things out. Because then you'll have space in your heart and your mind for hope. And you'll be able to set your eyes on my hope. And you'll be able to be like, my hope is here. My hope is coming. Jesus, his glory is coming. I can't. Like, some of us need to re remember that, there's a, that it's possible for you to think that way. But you've got to go through the process. Titus chapter four, uh, 2, 14. This is the last part of the passage. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. So that's the, that's the outcome. The outcome, the destination is that we are a people. That's all God has wanted. If you, if you looked in the Old Testament and knew, all God has wanted is a people of his own possession. He's been aiming to get that since the very beginning. He's always wanted a people of his own possession. And the process of receiving grace, being saved by grace, being trained to renounce the things in your life that are ungodly and that are worldly passions by grace. And then that will enable you to set your mind on the hope. And then you can honestly say, without a, without a doubt, that I'm God's possession. And when you fully belong to God, you will then have a zeal for good works. And when I say good works... There's a reason why it says, I believe this order is in purpose, on purpose. People for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, being owned by God, which I know is a very uh, offensive phrase, especially for Americans and the way that we think. The idea of being someone's possession is like kind of a red flag for us, but 
we, we have to re- recognize that we are called to be God's possessions. Redemption means you, you paid for He paid for us. His blood didn't just save you of your sins. His blood purchased you to belong to him. I think some of us want our forgiveness but not, our, not his ownership. We love the blood that forgives us of our sins, but the fact that that blood also paid to where we don't belong to ourselves anymore is like, maybe my sin wasn't that bad. Maybe life under the curse wasn't that bad. And then we start walking back. So we have to remember the blood of Jesus cleanses, of our, cleanses, of our, cleanses us of our sins, and it purchases us to where we are his possession. And then when you really get a glimpse of how good God is, the idea of belonging to him sounds just the best. Some of us might still have trust issues. We have to remember that God is good. And to belong to him is awesome. Paul said, like, being a slave to righteousness is better than freedom in my own sin. Like, I would rather be a a doorkeeper in the house of God than a king without him. We have to get to that point. But it's a process. Grace has to train us to get rid of some ungodliness and some worldly passions. And then we'll be able to have hope, looking for his glory, and then we can say we are God's possession, we belong to him, and then we are zealous for good works. And the reason why I emphasize belonging to him and being his possession is because there's a lot of people who have zeal for things that are good who don't believe in God. You can be an atheist and really get behind a cause that helps people. But the reason why it doesn't work is because outside of the context of being God's possession, good is a relative term only. There's no absolute good outside of God. So people who don't belong to God have to settle for a relative good which is basically means it seems better than something else. And honestly, even good things outside of God, again, remember the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world is ruled by Satan. Good things outside of God, if you actually trace the root of that good thing, it's connected to something that's dark, something that's corrupt. Good things out of God outside of God, are only good on surface. But then when you remove the curtain, you see the little weasel Satan behind it. Like, he disguises himself as good things. The Bible says he disguises himself as an angel of light. So good things outside of belonging to God are only good on the surface. That's why you have to first become a possession of God to even discern what is good. Human beings can't even discern what is good without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we go, oh, that thing is good, and then boom, cliff, and we're dead. Like, we, I promise you, and, and, any, and believing anything else is pride. The Bible says that every man is right in his own eyes. The Bible says every human being is right from their perspective. The only way to know what is absolutely right is under the possession and under the authority of Jesus Christ. So the reason why you have to first become a possession of God is because it's not until you're under his authority that you can even recognize what is good, 
let alone be zealous for what is good. <laughs> Praise God. So we need Jesus, all of us, me, you, everybody outside. We need Jesus. He is the grace of God. He is the one who will forgive you of your sins. He will save you from darkness. He will save you from yourself. He will save you from your inability to discern what is good and right for you. He will save you. And then guess what? He'll train you. The grace of God will then train you. Jesus will train you as a disciple. And that's what's called being a disciple. The difference between a believer and disciple is training. Disciples are people who've been trained in their salvation. They've got a little bit of muscle. They've got a little definition. They've got some quads. They've got some chest. They've got, they, they know how to stand firm. That takes training. you got to be trained. That's, what, that's why it's so important for disciples to be made because it trains you to renounce the things that are ungodly, to, announce, to renounce the things that are worldly, and to walk upright. What did it say? To write, walk upright self-controlled and godly lives. The Bible says, God is telling us it's possible to live lives that are godly, but you got to be trained. You can't bypass the training. You can't sleep in and sleep through the training and expect to live a self-controlled, godly life. And that's the thing. What, what, what we do is, thank you, Jesus. We go, well, I know I'm not godly. I know I'm not upright, but grace, when the very thing that we're saying is built to train us to be godly. God, the grace word that we're using is actually built to train us to do the very thing that we're using grace to say we don't have to do. That's why human beings think without God. It makes no sense. Grace is the power to live for God. Grace is the ability to obey God. You can't use the enablement to obey God to justify why you don't obey God. You can't use the very thing that enables you to be holy to say, I don't have to be holy because I've got this. Grace is what enables you to do it. It doesn't exempt you from it. It doesn't exempt you from obedience. It enables you to obey. These are real thoughts. I'm not, it might not be anybody in this room, but these are real belief systems that people have in our faith. Grace is a gift. It saves us, but then it trains us so that we will be upright, godly, and self-controlled, and then able to have a blessed hope to set our mind on the coming of the glory of the Lord to be God's possessions and then be zealous for works, good works. So you need Jesus because Jesus gives himself. He paid for your sins. Jesus purifies you. He changes you, and then he makes you zealous for good works. Jesus does all of that, all of that. So if you want a heart for God, it's available, and I just want to give you an opportunity to receive it. You receive it by faith. For those of you who want a heart for God, you receive it by faith. And faith is interesting because it 
you can you receive it even before it like fully manifests. That's how faith works. It's like even though I don't see it, it's what you're hoping for. Faith is what you're. It's the it's the substance of things hoped for. So let's say like you're completely just you you know you've been lukewarm. Let's say you know you've been half-hearted with God. Let's say you know you've been indifferent about the things of God. You're at the right place. God has not struck you dead. Like, you're here. He's happy that you're here. So he can learn how to get it. If you want a heart that is passionate for the Lord, you receive it by faith, and then you start the process. So we can say, Lord, I have a heart for you. But just know that once you leave here, the process starts. The Holy Spirit's going to show you some doors that you need to close. The Holy Spirit's going to show you some things that you need to abandon some mindsets that you need to abandon, some beliefs that you need to abandon, some relationships that you might need to abandon. And it's not to be mean, it's not to ruin your life, but it's to give you the ability to have passion for the very thing that you prayed for, to have passion for. God goes, I can give it to you, and he will, and he's pouring it out right now. So I'm going to ask us all to stand and receive a 100% heart for God. What I speak to you today is, is truth. He says, you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Some of you guys have been looking for God. That's why you're here. You want him. And the Lord believes you. I believe that you want me, but this is what, this is what it takes. He said, you've got to press into me with your whole heart. You can't be split about it. You can't even be safe about it. You've got to do, full, you know, trust, full trust fall. You've got to trust fall in the arms of Jesus. And it will work. You will see, you will find him. You will love him. You will hope in him. You will trust him. You will be passionate for him. So, Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus, that we take heed to your word that you shared with Titus, Lord, for, for us to first point our eyes to you, the grace of our Father in heaven. Jesus, you are full of grace. You give us the ability to go from death to life. You give us the enablement to go from darkness to light. Lord, but you're educating us and letting us know that it's not, it's not automatic. It's a process. So Lord, I pray a blessing over everyone here who's in the process. Lord, I pray for the ones who, who are in here and forgot that it was a process and because they weren't at the level of zeal that they thought they should be, they gave up. Lord, I pray for the ones who are here that got discouraged and, and said, I don't want to do it anymore. Lord, I pray for the ones here who have been putting it on them opposed to relying on you. I pray for the people who have been trying to do it out of their own strength and muster up passion that flesh can never produce. 
Father, I pray, Lord, that this time they would be reminded of the simple thing of just looking to you, turning to you, receiving your amazing grace, allowing your grace to do the work, allowing your grace to give us the power, to give us the desire, to give us the strength, to give us the endurance. Lord, we acknowledge your grace. Jesus, we acknowledge you. And I just trust that as we allow your grace to do that work in us, Lord, we commit that as you reveal things that should be renounced, that we won't delay. We won't try to justify it. We won't even try to understand it. The Holy Spirit, as you bring it up to us, Lord, let us have the confidence in you and the trust in you enough to let it go. Lord, and as those things are let go, I know without a shadow of a doubt that the passion for you will grow in ways that we always hope that it would. Lord, I thank you in advance for a wholehearted devotion to you, a strong, true passion for you, and I thank you in advance for this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you want Jesus today, if you want to be, um, if you want to belong to God, if you want to receive the payment that was made for your sins, if you want your life to be bought by the price that was paid by Jesus, if you want to belong to him so now you can discern what is good for your life and discern what is bad, if you want to be saved from your past, if you want a brand new life, if you want to be a brand new creation, if you want a brand new heart, repeat this prayer after me and through your confession of faith, I believe that you will be saved and the grace will start to do amazing work inside of your heart. So repeat these words after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. I choose you to be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's all say amen. Let's celebrate grace. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate mercy, discernment, strength, and power. We're going to have prayer at the end. We're going to dismiss. I'm going to have those who are assigned to pray for anyone who wants to get in position. And we want to pray for you. For those of you who said yes to Jesus, who are ready to, to make it public and to let us know, just tell us. Tell us by texting yes to Jesus to 77411. 77411. 
and you can text yes to Jesus, and what we'll do is it's automated. It'll just send you a little PDF of, of scriptures that can get you started in this walk. You can also let our team know. We've got Isaiah and Jennifer here. They'll be happy to congratulate you, to pray with you. And just let someone know that you said yes to Jesus, please. If you would like prayer, you can do the same. You can come down here or you can let us know online. If you uh, want to get more connected to our church and learn more about us, our founding pastors are hosting Next Steps. It's, it meets in room 104, and we're going to start that right after we pray. So please go and say hi to them and hear about the church. And if you would like to give your offering um, in the form of cash or check, we've got the finance team in the center aisle. They'll be happy to take your offering. But uh, I'm excited for the month of November. I believe our heart for God is going to go way, way up and that people are going to be blessed. So let's pray a prayer uh, to dismiss us, and then we'll be, we'll be good. Father, thank you again for today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your word. Uh, continue to transform our lives as we yield to your grace, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great afternoon.